Amen. Uh, yeah, just so glad the Roosters are with us. And um, it's fun because they uh, went to AM, were involved in our college ministry, um, served in lots of different ways, and, uh, and then just received an invitation to consider going up to Michigan to help pioneer a work uh, in the frozen tundra of Ann Arbor. And um, they have been faithfully doing that, and, uh, and God just taught them so much. And we said, well, now you guys are mature, so why don't you come back and you can come on our staff. No, we're just so thankful for them. And, um, and, and as a church, if this is your first time, I want to say welcome to Antioch. If, you've, uh, if you were here six weeks ago as a college student, welcome back. And um, we are just excited about all that God is doing here in 2021. And as I shared with some of our leaders this weekend, we had a life group leader training. I just said, hey, listen, 2020 is in the rearview mirror. And so we are moving forward. Uh, just as Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after the prize. I'm going to keep chugging away. And so we as a people want to look forward and look towards what God has for us, what Jesus has in store. And we're going to set our sights on that. And um, today, before I jump into the message, I just uh, obviously just want to acknowledge that tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And um, I don't know if you know, but it'll be 35 years of our country celebrating uh, this amazing holiday. And as I was just thinking about Martin Luther King and have obviously read articles and seen some documentaries on him and so forth, but, um, you know, as, as I was reflecting on his life, the reality is that Martin Luther King um, he became a father to a movement, and he actually created real change, but he did it God's way. And it's actually one of the rare cases in our nation where someone saw an injustice, contended for it, and saw it actually come to fruition and fought for it, but yet did it God's way, not man's way. And I think it's a really important lesson for us right now in our nation at this critical time with so many things still happening, things unfinished, things uncertain, that we look and say, man, God raised up a man who said, I'm, I'm going to speak through him, I'm going to encourage him, I'm going uh, to get behind him and put a deep burning conviction in him that something had to change. But where he went for his wisdom and his strategy was to the Lord. His wisdom and strategy was to the Lord. And he said, Lord, what do you want? And so the Lord led him and many others into a peaceful movement of creating real change. And yes, none of us like to look at that part of our nation's history. And we have come so far and have more to go. But he's a man that we should look to and honor Say, thank you, God. Martin Luther King wasn't perfect. He was just a person like us. He's not Jesus. He's a man. But he chose to say, God, I want to honor you with my life. And he ended up giving his life for the very cause that he fought for. So tomorrow, on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, that's why our nation celebrates it. Because it's a man that um, created real change. And I, I was thinking about it, and out of all the holidays we have in America, I don't know of another one that's actually pegged for just a person um, and for what they did, um, uh, a person specifically from America. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and he's from Ireland, you know, and we honor that. But, but honestly, Martin Luther King is a man of God, 
And I love the fact that um, I think as Ronald Reagan is the one who helped sign legislation in to make it official holiday in 1986. And ever since then, we've been able to celebrate it as a nation. So again, just tomorrow morning when you wake up, maybe it should stir you to say, Lord, we want there to be more. Like what he started and in many ways pushed forward after centuries of injustice, there's still more work to do, but it's good to reflect and honor and what's already been done, and then maybe learn from it and say, God, well, how do we move forward? Because he did it in a fatherly way. He led a movement, but he did it God's way. Amen? So just so thankful for him. And uh, for us, it's kind of special, and a little side note, because actually tonight is the night that I met her, which is crazy. So every time I celebrate Martin Luther King Day, I simultaneously celebrate the fact that I met my wife. Now, it was at 2 a.m. on MLK, though. So that's another story for another day. But um, I, I celebrate it. It's like, man, that's the day that my whole life just totally changed. And God put me on a different course, not only for the love of my life, but also for the kingdom and for the church. So just so thankful um, for this special holiday. All right. Well, um, today um, we're going to kick off a series about the church. Okay, so you may be wondering, wait, we're in church. Why do you have a sermon series about the church? Aren't we here? Isn't it the building? Or, well, it hasn't already been talked about before. You know, some of you may be thinking, hey, I kind of get the church. I think I got it, right? And I actually thought about doing a little trivia this morning, but I'm not going to do that to you on church trivia to see how confident you really are about the church. But I want this Sunday to be encouraging. So... (laughs) We're not going to do that, <laughs> maybe next week, but we're going to go for the next eight weeks, going all the way through March 7th, talking about who is the church and what does the church do? Who is the church and what does the church do? And, you know, I was thinking back to when I was in third grade up in McKinney, Texas, my, um, my, my grandpa, Papa Luther, was in town, uh, him and my grandma, and my brother and I. He would always take us to like construction sites whenever he came to town. That was something that we did with, with old Papa Luther. And so, um, so we would go to this construction site, and it was close to our house, but probably a good half a mile away. And so we're there, and we, and we drove there, and we're walking around. Granted, I'm in third grade, and, uh, and so I'm walking around. And, you know, whenever you walk around a construction site, remember all of you, be careful for the boards that have nails sticking up, right? It just should, should clue you in. And, uh, and so there I am walking around, little third grader, you know, being a boy, and boom, stepping aboard, and it just goes, right? And it just comes through my leg. So it's a two-by-four that had a nail, and it went clear through my leg. And I'm thinking as a third grader, you know, it's the classic, like, what? Ah! You know, scream like a girl, right? And so I am there, and I'm like down, and ah! so my brother's there, and my grandpa's there, and and, you know, my, my grandpa's like, Tyler, what are you yelling about? You know, and I'm like, I got a board in my leg, you know. And, and, uh, and my brother just sees it and just takes off. And he sprints home. It's my brother, just like Forrest Gump. Just, he's just tracking home. He gets home. He gets my dad. He shows up. You know, they load me up in the car. And we go to the hospital. You know, of course, we took the board out and all that and the rusty nail. You got to concern all the tetanus stuff and everything. I'm okay. My jaw's still good. And, you know, and, uh, but man, it hurt. And I had to get stitches and the whole deal. I've never had a nail go through my leg since. 
right? So fool me once, but not twice. So, um, and, but I was thinking about that and it was funny because it's like, okay, let's think about this. I've got my grandpa, I got my dad, and I got my brother, right? These three generations that in a moment came to my aid to rescue little third grade Tyler, who was the weakest and who was the youngest and who didn't know what to do. And I actually, need, I actually needed their help to get better. I was not going to get better on my own with having a boar stuck in my leg. In fact, if I didn't tend to it or they didn't help me, I'd probably get some sort of gangrene and I'd be up here preaching today with one leg. And that'd be fine. But that was not God's plan for me because he had people in my life to help me in that moment, right? So I share that as we go into talking about the church, as funny as it is, my leg's completely healthy, I play sports and I'm good to go. But I share that because it's necessary for us to understand the beginning of this series, that when we talk about church, there's many ways the Bible describes the church. What we're going to talk about today is that the church is the body of Christ. Today is about the body of Christ and the need for the body of Christ to work together in sync or else it can't really function. And we're going to look at two passages today, specifically looking at Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. So Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. They're great passages when it comes to talking about the church as the body of Christ. And as you turn your Bibles to Romans 12, we'll start there. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote many epistles and letters in the New Testament. And this one to uh, here, here in Romans, the first 11 chapters, I'll give you the quick summary. He's teaching us the gospel, the first 11 chapters of Romans. And he's more or less breaking down the fact that we are sinners, um, that God is infinitely holy and just, and that we are therefore under his wrath and condemnation. That's Paul's argument. The first 11 chapters is you've sinned, God is holy and just, therefore he's going to hold you accountable to your sin, and you are condemned. The wrath of God is coming upon you, but that God in his great mercy saw us, and he sent, and he sent his son Jesus, who is perfect and holy and righteous, and all the way, even obeying him, all the way to the point of death, and he took our place on the cross so that it made us possible for us to be justified and no longer condemned to hell, but to be justified, to be forgiven, and have a place in heaven, and have a, a relationship with the Lord. Therefore, then, because of what Christ did, we are now declared righteous, right? So when we talk about righteousness, we're not talking about, well, you did a lot of good works. Righteousness is all about Christ's blood, the holiness of Christ, coming in exchange for our sin and ickiness, so to speak, and he gave us righteousness in exchange. So the first 11 chapters of Romans is talking about pretty much everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is no longer condemned, but is free and forgiven and can have a full life and you can be born again. That is the great news of Romans 1 through 11. And then in Romans 12, he is writing the context is to people that have already understood the gospel. They've already received Christ. They've already believed and said, okay, we are going to follow Jesus. So that's the people that he's writing to, more or less the believers in Rome. And so in Romans 12.1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I'm not going to stay here for a while, but I just want us to understand that when it comes to the body of Christ, first look at us individually, and the appeal is for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If you remember in the Old Testament, the only sacrifices that were acceptable were ones that were pure without spot or blemish. You could not take one of your sheep that had a broken leg and sacrifice it. You could not take a diseased pigeon. You could not take a calf that was the runt of all the calves. You had to actually give your best cow, your best sheep, your best bird to the priest, and then therefore they would put that on the altar. They would then make that the sacrifice in exchange for your sins would then go on to the animal picturing that blood sacrifice that eventually would Jesus would take the place of that lamb, cow, bird sacrifice and become the ultimate sacrifice forever, that's what had to happen. So you had to be spotless without blemish, which means these Romans, these Christians, they would have known that language he's talking about, which is to present your body. So that means heart, soul, mind, strength, inside and outside as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. So he's appealing to them and he's exhorting them to live this way because he's saying, guess what? When you present your life and live your life as a living sacrifice in this way, that is your spiritual worship. So he asked the question, well, man, I want to worship God with my life. How do I do that? Is it singing? That's actually not what it is. Singing is not worshiping God with your life. That's worshiping in a moment and a space and time. That is not a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of worship, to be worshipful to God, to be completely devoted and surrendered to him, to give him praise and glory continually, the answer is right here. Live your life in a way that is holy and acceptable to God. So then you ask, well, how do I know what is holy and acceptable to God? The answer is you have to read the entire New Testament. You have to read about Jesus and how he lays it out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Therefore, my admonition to us at the beginning of 2021, if you don't hear me say anything else this year, here's what I want you to hear me say. The number one thing you can do is to get in here. Because when you get in here, this will start to make sense. When you get in here, You'll want to pray and say, okay, God, what are you saying? I want to hear from you. I want, to sp- I want you to speak to me. And all of a sudden, his voice is clearer. Right? Do you ever get that? Like, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know, you've gotten some sort of uh, thing that you've bought, and you've got these long instructions, and some of us tend to ditch the instructions, so you all just got to figure it out. Right? Because we're super smart and all. And others follow the instructions. Well, the first time you do it, it's kind of, you're a little clunky. It's like, what did that say? Step 4.2. What? What? Okay, put that thing there. Oh, my gosh. But what if, you've, what if you've read those instructions ten times? Right? Then you see it. You don't have to. It's like it's just in you. It's like, no, no, I know what comes after that. I know what comes after that. You see, when we don't know the instructions to how to be holy and acceptable, we're confused. 
And so then someone posts something on social media about what marriage is supposed to be like or what family should be like or an issue about race or what this or that or about government. And we're all of a sudden confused, grasping and chasing for, well, maybe that's, maybe that's the right instructions for how to do family. Well, maybe that's the right way to do parenting. Well, maybe that's the good idea about education. Maybe that's the way we should treat this. Maybe that's what we should deal with conflict. And instead of us actually having the instruction manual, we're just grasping for everyone else's opinions about how to build the doohickey. But actually, it's actually right here. This is how you become holy and acceptable. This is it. Do you understand? Because then when you know this, do you know how much easier it is to hear him? We all want to hear the voice of God. I mean, guys, I want the writing on the wall. I want to be driving and him be like, Tyler, just, I want that. I want to be clear when I'm sleeping in my dreams. I want to be clear when I'm mowing the grass and a thought comes and to know, is that the devil? Is that me or is that the Lord? I want to be clear on that. But I can't be clear if I don't know what's the Lord. Right? Well, I think that's God. That sounds loving. Is it really? Because he spells out what is real love. And it's more than just being nice. Right? Like, real love is actually holding us accountable to our sin. Uh-oh. That's love? Yeah. A loving parent, actually, the proverb says, disciplines their children. If you hate your children, you don't discipline them. Real love is disciplining your kids. So if you discipline your kids, you know what you're doing? You're hating them. Uh-oh. Wait a second. Who said that? Oh, the Bible. Oh, the word. Oh, wait. I didn't know that because that's not taught out there. But the Bible is clear about what is holy and acceptable to God. Amen? So you don't have to be, you don't have to be insecure, guys. We don't be insecure, right? The devil wants you to be insecure. To be like, well, I don't know. What should you do? I don't know. I should keep searching for different things. And Don't do that. Just quit tracking everyone else's opinions. I'm telling you. Like, just, I'm, I'm urging you to make this the source of your information about how to function in life. And if it's not there, plain to see, it's probably there if you will wait on the Lord and kind of dig a little bit more. And if you still can't find it, then that's why you have the body of Christ, the people of God to say, hey, I'm actually 67 years old. I've been following Jesus for 55 years. Actually, I have an answer for that. And I found it right here. And you're like, oh, just because you're 21 and don't know what to do doesn't mean you have to be insecure and throw the Bible out. Just means you need community. And it means you need to quit talking to other 21-year-olds. <laughs> Don't ask a 21-year-old for uh, marriage advice, unless you've been married a few years. Don't ask your friends about dating advice. Ask people who've been married. It kind of sounds logical, but it's, we're functioning very illogically right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Whew, okay, we get it back on point. Here we go. Um. Yeah, I got to move on. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now that is good news because you're not alone. You're not alone, guys. The body of Christ, the church, is meant to be together. It is not an individual. An individual is not the church. That's a believer. That's a Christian. That's a follower of Christ. That's a disciple of Jesus. That's not the church. An individual has never been nor ever will be the church. The church has to take more people. It takes other humans. Actually, it's, it's about assembly. It's about a gathering. It's about a people. That is what the church 
is, which means you can't be the church if you just do life on your own. You actually have to do with other people. And if you don't, you're not the church. You can be a, a Christ follower, but then even Christ says, do not miss out on the opportunity to meet together, love one another. I mean, the whole scriptures are filled with this togetherness, right? He could have gone and done his own ministry by himself, but he chose to pick up 12 dudes along the way and do it with him. And then some other ladies and dudes joined him. That made the 72, and then other people came. He chose to do it with people, and he's the son of God. He didn't need them. Do you think Jesus needed them? No. It's like, he's not like, Peter, so what do you think about this? I'm a little confused here. What should we do in Caesarea? You know, what should we do? In how do you handle, hey, Peter, how do we respond to this Pharisee coming at me? I feel stuck. Jesus never got stuck. He always found a way out. I love that about Jesus. He's the wittiest person ever. Just sharp. It just, you, you, you can't corner him. He didn't need his disciples. But he chose disciples. Just like he chose you. He chose me. Guys, he's chosen. I don't understand why. I'm just thankful. It's a mystery of God. Why did God choose people like us who are not perfect, who are not holy in and of ourselves, who are not without blemish, who have made a lot of mistakes, who all have a past, and we could write a book on our dark days. Why did he choose us? <laughs> Out of the mercy and the love and the grace of God, he chose us. I still don't know why, but he does, because it says that for God so loved the world. He chose us because he loves us. And he said, I love you so much, I'm gonna pull you in. I'm going to pull you in to my family. So again, Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You know, that phrase in Christ means that when you trust in Jesus, there's a union established between Christ and you in such a way that Christ um, can share with you himself. I'll put it another way. Let me read a couple of scriptures for you. Um, we receive grace or just some, some phrases from the scriptures. We receive grace in Christ, our redemption in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. We are a new creation. God supplies all of our needs. We cannot be separated from the love of God. Those are good things. So in Christ, you're like invincible. You don't have to watch Wonder Woman. I mean, you've got Jesus. You don't have to pretend. To, it's like, no, no. You have the invincible of invincible, the king of kings that is not only on your side, but is then partnered with you. Right? He's part. I love the illustration of the two oxen being yoked together. Anyone ever seen actual oxen yoked? I haven't. I don't think we have a lot around America, but, um, but we've seen other things yoked, okay? But in the illustration, the yoking reality, I always picture it as Jesus is the really huge ox. Just this huge, like, just, you know, I don't know how big they are. Let's call it 3,000 pound ox, just the big guy. And then we're the like 50 pound ox, you know, but he's yoked himself with us. He's saying, hey, we're going to do this together. I'm doing most of the work, me, Jesus, but you get to come along for the ride. That's what it is. We are yoked with him. He's the big guy, and he's taking us with him, though. He's not leaving us in the dust. He's saying, will you come with me and plow the field? Will you come with me and sow the harvest? 
Will you come with me and minister to this person? Will you come with me and do this? See, when we all understand that we are the body of Christ, we're going to get into the head of the church, which is next week. That's Jesus. Just a little preview. The head of the church is Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. When we talk about the body of Christ, though, he is leading us. Oh, that's such a safe place to be, guys. When Jesus is leading us and in Christ, they have all these promises. But it's not just in Christ individually. The deeper meaning and reality comes when it comes about the body of Christ is to rephrase it like this. We are redeemed together. We are justified together. We are forgiven together. Created anew together. Our every need is met together. We are loved by God together, perfected together, and so on. In Christ individually and in Christ corporately as the body. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So we're going to shift gears here in 1 Corinthians 12, which also talks about the body of Christ. And what's interesting is you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, is that Paul wrote this letter. Um, uh, sorry, Paul, Paul wrote his letter to the Romans from Corinth. So that was around A.D. 56. So Paul's in, in Corinth, and he's writing a letter to the Romans, which is fun. And this letter to the Corinthians was written in A.D. 53, so a few years right uh, apart, was written from Ephesus. So I share that with you just to understand that when you read the Bible, understand where things are coming from, Paul is speaking on similar themes to different people that are literally worlds apart. Uh, Corinth to Rome was like a really long walk. Like months and months and months. I'm a very long, they didn't have airplanes, okay? So a very long distance. But yet Paul, if you will see, he addresses similar topics when he writes letters to the churches. Ephesus, Corinth, Rome. Does that make sense? So it's important to note whenever you're reading the New Testament, be it in the Gospels or even the Old Testament, but when you're reading in the New Testament, the Gospels, and you see similar themes. You see this parable brought up multiple times. You see key in on that. In the New Testament letters, when you see a similar issue brought up to multiple churches, you have to understand that that is more of a universal church reality that needs to be addressed. And it's not just isolated, but needs to be discussed on a more broad sense. So then for us as people today need to look and say, hey, wait a second. That thing's been talked about like 12 times in 12 different letters. It's probably important. And probably everybody had the issue. So then it also relates to us to say, I've had that issue. Well, I'm just like people 2,000 years ago, right? So it's a little humbling, but it means that God is speaking to us and wants to make it really, really clear. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This idea, again, of many members, but one body. But it is through Christ. Christ is the connection point for us to being the church. So just to be clear, you are only part of the church, biblically speaking, if you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. How do you have fellowship with Jesus Christ? If you've believed in him, trusted in him, been forgiven for your sins from him. You can attend the church gathering. You can be around the people of the church, right? That's not wrong. You can do that. In fact, Jesus modeled for us that we should spend a considerable amount of time around people who have no idea about the kingdom of God, who have no idea about forgiveness, who are totally off the grid. Like we're actually 
exhorted and encouraged to reach out and put ourselves in positions either in our workplace or neighborhoods or sports teams or family members at holidays to put ourselves in positions where we're around people who don't know anything about Jesus, who are not part of the church. That's actually encouraged. We're not encouraged to be in a bubble or to be isolated. We're actually encouraged to be out there to be salt and light. With that said, you're only part of the body of Christ if you've chosen to surrender and believe in Christ. If not, and if you're here this morning, we love having you. You're welcome to attend and, and, and be here, but you're not part of the body of Christ until you surrender to Christ. And, and, and that's a big commitment. It's not, you should never take that lightly. Anyone watching or anything, you should never take that lightly. You should say, this is a serious commitment. If I'm going to be in, I'm in. It's not a game, right? I think, I think that where our nation is headed is it's going to be very difficult to be lukewarm. It's going to be very challenging to be a gray Christian, so to speak. It, it, the, the line is getting more clear, and you're going to be forced to be on one side of the line or not, more or less, this is the kingdom of God way that I'm going to do life, or this is the way I'm going to go, the way of the world. Right? Paul, starting out in Romans 12, says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's admonishing us, hey, you're going to be tempted to conform, guys. All of us are. We are tempted every day, it seems now, to conform to something in the world. And he's saying, don't do that. And he's talking to people that were in Rome, which I'm pretty sure was like the modern-day Paris, London, New York, and Beijing all rolled into one. It was the epicenter of the Roman Empire, fashion to economy to a mix of people groups. It, Rome was the place to be. And he's saying, you Roman Christians who are in the epicenter, yes, the Colosseum and all of its craziness and all the stuff happening, persecutions, you are in the epicenter of that, and yet I'm telling you to be salt and light. I'm telling you, do not be conformed to this world, Roman Christians. There's a better way. So for us, we can take encouragement from that, that even people that were living in such a place as that were able to find the narrow way and to follow Jesus. So we had this idea of the body being many parts. Let's continue on to verse 14 and 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them, as he chose. I just want to pause there. As he chose. Not just our physical body. Have you ever wondered, like, why is the ear not on my right shoulder? <laughs> right? I mean, it'd be funny. But it wouldn't be funny if we all had it on the right shoulder. Or like our nose, it's just like right here. Like instead of the belly button, it's a nose. You know? Have you, I mean, yeah, it starts to get weird real quick. Just say, man, thank you, Jesus, for the way you made us. I don't want to hear my shoulder, you know. But, okay, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, just so you know, God chose to put it exactly together as he intended without mistake. It didn't just happen. It was intentional. So not only in our human bodies, the analogy, but in the body of Christ. As he chose. Remember that. He chose 
how to make you, wire you, gift you, and design you. That was not your choosing. Now, you can fight him on it all the days of your life. And you can say, well, I always wanted to be a great singer, but my voice isn't any good. And you can do everything you want and probably get surgery and make it a little bit better. But you'll never be as good as a person who's naturally gifted that way. You just got to be okay with that. We don't like that, though. Right? We don't like being told no. We do not like being told, I can't do, I can do it. I mean, just, but all of a sudden, when we start trying to go after things that we're not actually made to do, or get to do, we just end up being frustrated. I mean, I don't know if anyone's been stressed or anxious or frustrated at all in the last year. A few of you, maybe. But I'm wondering how much of it has to do with us comparing ourselves to another part of the body. Right? Let's continue on. It says, um, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's the point. Um, <laughs> parts of a body don't live unless they're connected. Um, you know, every person has value and has importance in God's eyes. And I want you to hear me say here at Antioch, that's the same thing. Do we have room to grow to, um, to make that more of a reality? Yes. Is that an intention of our hearts? Yes. Is it a reality across the board? No, because we're still working on that. We're trying to create a culture that does value every single person, every single gifting. And that's part of what we are focused on this year, honestly, is to figure out how do we help every single person own their place in the mission of God. Like, we want you to find your fit where it feels natural, where God's leading you in that place. And you're like, man, I love doing this because that's what I'm made for. But that takes work and time and conversations to help navigate with you and with one another to say, hey, where is God leading you? And let's talk about that practically. Is it making sense? So we want to get there as a church. Just be patient with us. But that's our desire. But I want you to know, women have an immense value at Antioch. Yes, are we lacking female leadership on staff? Sure. Is it for a lack of desire of having it? No. It's that we are working through the timing of God and the complexities of organization and how we need to do that appropriately and rightly and have the right women in place who have the capacity. It's not a, we don't desire to have women in ministry. We love women. I'm married to one, just so you know. She's pretty awesome. And my best times ever leading anything are with her. You know, and so I'm trying to get her to help lead more. Just, we got lots of kids and lots of things going on, you know. And so I just want you to hear me say, whether it's women or children or anything else, I just want you to know our heart is God speak to us in a fresh way to say, hey, how do we mobilize the church collectively? And it's not just women. It's women and men. And it's every skin color and it's every age. So if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm in my 60s. I don't feel like there's anything for me. We acknowledge that and say, hey, we want to make more space to make it clear for you to make a bigger impact. If you're 14, you're like, I just feel like I'm just a teenager. Hey, we want to make a space for you. Do you understand me? Like the desire is to make a space and a place that is purposeful, that is needful, that is valued, that is important. If you're a college student, don't just, don't just attend Antioch. Don't just waltz around here. You can attend other things. They're called organizations. I, this is the church. The church will outlast your student organization. 
It will. <laughs> you know, like, it will. The church is what Jesus is returning for in the end, not AM. I love AM. I'm an Aggie. I'm all about it. I want us to win at football. But I don't put AM above the church. I don't. I put the church first and foremost because that is what God has called us to do. And if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, he says, get in the body, make a place, stick to it, be committed, love the bride, don't poo-poo the bride, don't whatever, just be honoring to the church, right? And so that's what we're doing as a body of Christ. And Paul speaks to this idea of value and honor where every gifting matters is needed in the church. Our desire is that every gifting would matter and have a place, whether that's evangelism, administration, helps, hospitality, mercy, prophecy. We have a long ways to go. We always want those things functioning, but we know at this point in our church, it's primarily happened organically, which feels good in the beginning. But then eventually you're like, hey, we want stuff to happen organically, but we actually need to have some structure to some things so that people know when they walk through these doors, they show up, that they have a place where they can be a part of something. Does it make sense? So be patient with us, but we want to be clear and upfront and give you on-ramps into ministry, giving you on-ramps to knowing whatever your place is in the body of Christ, hey, I can serve there and feel like I can give myself to something and honor Jesus with it. What we don't want is a church where 20% of the people do everything and 80% just show up. We are moving away from that. So I'm just letting you know, as someone at this church, whether you're a college student, you're 40s, 60s, 80s, I don't care. If you're here, then we are telling you it's going to be a partnership of you saying, hey, I want to be involved. I'm ready to step up and to help. Tell me where, coach. Like, that's the deal. You're on the church team. You ever want to be on a team? Some of you guys played tennis your whole life or golf. You want to be on a team? Hey, team now. You know, like, you're on the church team. It's called the body of Christ. Now, you got to help us understand and one another where's the best position for you on this team so that we win. Okay, like we are here to push back the kingdom of darkness. We are here to squash the devil's efforts and destroying people. We are here to restore, to reconcile, to preach the gospel, to make ways for Jesus to move in our city. But we need your help, not just waiting around for something to happen, but engaging with us in the mission. Does it make sense? So that's what we are saying you to now. So if there's not been a place for you, just forgive us and say it's 2021, it's a new year, and I'm ready to roll. And if you want to know something to do, come grab me or Billy afterwards and just say, hey, I'm in. I'll write your name down, and we'll commit to get back to you as soon as possible. And just say, great, here's, here's where we're going to start. And I just want you to know that even as we are developing this as the body of Christ and working together and honoring each other, just because you serve in one place, it may not be the place you're always going to serve. And it may not be your number one gifting. Do you understand? Like, you can't, you can't hold out for the perfect job. That's called being unemployed. You can find a job. If you can't find a job, come talk to me. I will help you find a job. You may not like the job, but we can find you a job. Do you understand me? But it's your, it's your lack of willingness to work. Usually. Or it's, I'm holding out for that job. I just don't see that biblically in the church. I'm holding out for Kalen to retire so I can be the worship guy. He's very young. It's going to be a long time. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? 
like Jordan Fairley, she's, she's young too. She's, she's going to be there a while, God willing. And so you're not taking her job either. But it's not about staffing. We see our role as simply to serve you. We got to do a better job at that. We need to be more clear about that. Our job is actually to help organize you, us, so we move together. Not, not the other, does that make sense? Like, we're here to try to prop you up, not you prop us up. But we can't do that if people don't participate. We can't have a children's ministry without any children's workers. We can't have a youth ministry without people willing to serve and bless the youth. We cannot have family life groups if I don't have families willing to host life group in their house. We cannot push back things in the city and go after other bigger agendas as well in our city unless we have people committed to what we're doing and not flaky. And the church across America is on is struggling for the commitment because people now all of a sudden made it optional and found every excuse in the planet to not be a part of the church. Biblically, I don't care what is happening in our country. I don't care what is out there. We are called and admonished to gather and to be the church. It may need to look different. I told our group yesterday, we may need to be underneath a tree. Or if it becomes illegal to be the church, we'll go underground and build a huge basement. But we will honor the king and be the church just as our fellow brothers and sisters are doing all over the world right now where half the place is illegal to actually profess Christ. And we are not going to sit here and say, well, no. We are, we are in partnership with our brothers and sisters around the world that are meeting together, fellowshipping, praying, and risking their own necks, literally, for persecution, imprisonment, and death because they see the importance of the body of Christ. I, I know I'm coming strong on purpose because this message is not what you are hearing. But this is a biblical message. This is not a worldly message. This is a fire of God biblical message. And this is an hour for us at a church and for anyone watching where you have to gird up and to say it's time to re-engage with the body of Christ. And that may look different for every single person and that is fine. But to disengage is not biblical. It is not Christian. It is not church. You are ostracizing yourself from the very thing that we need. And when you are severed off as an arm, it will die unless it's reattached quickly. For some people, their reattachment time is dwindling. Some of it's already passed. And they have literally gone off the map, lost their faith, not just in our church, but churches around America. And they are in Never Never Land over here, forgotten Christ in the church, and have not, they have not reconnected, and therefore they are dying. So I don't mind coming strong and passionate because I don't want people to keep dying from being disconnected from the body. The last thing I'll say is that um, I'm just going to read this last passage here. I want us to go and stand and invite the band on up. You know, Paul kind of wraps up this thought here in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater honor. Modesty, 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What's the point? There has to be honor within the body of Christ. We have to honor one another. Listen, if you stub your toe, are you just going to have it stubbed and bleeding and just kind of leave it there? No. You're going to tend to it. But it's our toe. It's small. Oh, but it's so necessary. You try to run without a big toe? I haven't, but I've heard it's difficult. (laughs) You ever try to be the full representation of Christ without your left arm? You ever try to, do you get what I'm saying? This is, guys, we got to honor each other. There's not a single person in this room that's perfect, including me. There's not a single person in this room that's arrived in how they know the Bible or who God is. We are all on a journey together. But if we don't do it together, we will not get there. And we will lose. And the enemy will continue to pick us off one by one. I can give you a list of people that have been picked off this year. Not just in this church, but in family. Other circles have been picked off and convinced of a lie and have separated themselves from the body of Christ, and they are spiraling. Their marriage is spiraling. Their kids are suffering. Because you know what they said? They disconnected from the body. They got hurt and didn't ask for help and didn't want the healing, and they just stayed hurt. We can't do that, guys. That verse says, but that the members may have the same care one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Our desire is to have fellowship in this church. But it starts with us being the body of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I wasn't going to do this, but um, um, I just want to have some of our life group leaders, just maybe 10 or 12 of you guys come up here, some family, young adult, uh, and a few college leaders. Just come up here real quick. Put your mask on if you've got a mask, please. It'd be great. Just come up here real quick. As we go in just to ministry time, I just want to provide these guys an opportunity. If, you don't, if, you, if you're new here, we used to do this every single Sunday in COVID. We kind of stopped doing it, but we're going to start doing it again. And um, so just put your mask on when you come up and get, get prayer, fine. But um, I, I just get a sense that, like, there's some people in this room this morning that, like, man, you felt disconnected from the body. And, and specifically, some of you have just felt hurt. Like, you just felt hurt. You felt abandoned. It may have been real. It could have just been your head, but it may have just been real hurt or confusion or offenses happened or something. And I just don't, I don't want you to walk out of here. Even if, I know you're here, so that says something, but like, even for any of us, there's a place to where we just feel like we're barely attached, you know? It's like, oh, I'm hanging on, man. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I just want to encourage us just to make space. I think there's many of us, but just come up here and get prayer and just say, hey, just pray over me. I don't want that anymore. I want to be wholehearted. I want to be committed to the body of Christ. I want to be in. I don't, I, so again, I don't know what you need, but just get a sense that some people feel a little detached, a little disconnected. And we just want the Lord to restore that. Amen? All right, so let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we do just ask that you would heal us this morning. Um, you'd heal us, Lord. We need the healing of the Lord. 
We need you to touch us again. We need you to even just expose this place in our hearts and minds where we're hurting and come and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name.